welcome everyone to another episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. This is your host, Short Latina, and I'm here with my co-host, Sabritas. Hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today, we have Michael Villarreal. He is the founder and owner of Semillas Counseling. Welcome, Michael. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And Michael, I want to tell our listeners that we've known each other for how long? Eight years? No. Um, is that long? I don't know. No. <laughs> when did we jump it's ship? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to say it was 2014 or 15, something like that. So about five, six years. Okay. It's yeah. about six years or so. Yeah. yeah. Good times. Time. Good times, though. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, Michael. Um, you know, I, I thought of you instantly when Sabritas and I were talking about uh, having an episode on family. Uh, you are a therapist and you're a licensed clini clinician. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your qualifications for our listeners? So I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I'm the owner and founder of Samia's Counseling. We're a small group practice here in River North. Um, and we specialize in couples counseling and we work with individuals, adults, and their families. Um, so uh, the practice has been around for about four years and we're a team of about 10. We really like to kind of make mental health care available and accessible to people across the city. And because of COVID and moving towards telehealth, we've been able to really do that. And that's been so great for us because we can reach people that are not necessarily able to kind of get to us downtown, but we can get to them in their homes. So it's been a really great experience for us over the last seven months. I know that the it's not been a great experience for anyone, what we've been going through. However, it's been a, a great way for us to continue to provide care for families. Yeah, I definitely value my therapy sessions now more than ever, which mm -hmm. I actually have tomorrow. It's, it's a good way to check myself where I am in the moment and on my week. And I can, therapy has been one of the things that without it, I don't, I don't know if I would be here today. That's all I'll say. Now, have you seen a spike in people seeking therapy right now during COVID? I think it, it comes in waves. Um, when this first started, we saw a little bit of a decline in services just because we were only seeing clients um, or working with people in the office. And so we initially had a little bit of a drop off, but then as you know, and people were really enjoying being at home. Good shelter in place really provided them a space to kind of connect with their families. But then they started to recognize that it wasn't just going to be a couple of weeks, a couple months. It was, you know, then a lot of changes in their family system and they really needed some support. Um, so we've seen it come in waves throughout the summer because even as the summer, you know, the restrictions were lifted in Chicago. And people were really kind of taking advantage of that. And then, you know, things became difficult, whether it's, you know, um, talking about the social justice issues that have come up, the civil unrest, the, the protests, that has really led people to kind of really seek support because we're in a really powerful moment in history. I think that that's um, really having people have a different conversation with themselves, with the families that they're they're a part of or the systems that they're a part of and wanting things to change. Started to talk about COVID and then I'm like, oh wait, there's a lot of things that have happened in the last seven months um, that yeah. have really shifted people in terms of taking care of themselves, taking care of the people that they love and also experiencing a great deal of mourning and loss. 
not just for mm -hmm. the loss yeah. of life, but for the loss of the type of life mm. that they had seven months ago. What led you to do this type of work? I think throughout my own, in my own childhood and adolescent years, I, you know, had my own moments of isolation and feeling alienated and I had difficulty connecting with others. Um, you know, high school is not a really safe space for some kids. And for myself, I didn't really experience an atmosphere where I felt, you know, that I could be accepted or I felt that I was connecting with others. You know, as I got older, I recognized that being excluded in certain groups, I was feeling myself just really doing a lot of people watching and observing and I loved human behavior. I also really loved psychology. That was like the only class that I would pay attention in when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> so... So for me, it just kind of felt natural, but I actually never went into the work in my undergrad years. I did, you know, do a bachelor's in psychology, but then I was also working in a banking environment and I was successful and really enjoyed that. But then over the course of being there 10 years, I recognized I wasn't doing what I loved. And so I really wanted to get back to that. And then eventually I ended up leaving that and moving into education as well as the field of mental health. So it's taken me a long time to get here. I've recognized the impact that my own struggles with mental health had on me and the people around me as I observed those relationships and them and their relationships. It really kind of led me to a place of knowing that in my own healing, I wanted to help others heal from experiences that similar to that I had, and not that everyone has the same journey, but if I can be of support and help others find a safe place to have a voice, I'd like to be able to do that. And I think that it's super important that like in your line of work, you really do have that personal connection. When you were talking, it just made me think about this tweet that I had seen the other day where they wish their parents had some sort of emotional uh, support like they do right now in their lives when their parents were growing up. I would like to thank you so much for, for sharing that. I also wanted to move on to talk about mental health in general and, and mental health in the Latinx community and ways of destigmatizing you know, mental health and going to therapy. What are kind of your experiences with that and what are your suggestions for our listeners? I think you bring up really great points. I think that there has um, and continues to be a stigma around mental health. And there's been a lot of movement to kind of destigmatize mental health in, at least if we're talking about just Chicago, but I think this is a national effort that I've seen a lot of changes within larger systems. So one example I'm thinking of locally is the Chicago School of Professional Psychology about 10 years ago created the Center for Latino Mental Health, I believe that's the name, um, but it's a, a program within their graduate study that really looks at Latino mental health. The state of Illinois had a campaign around the same time as well, um, I think they called it Say It Loud, which was really looking at how do we destigmatize mental health, um, help people seek support that perhaps they, didn't, they don't know is available to them. Um, there's a lot of statistics out there that one in five individuals experience some form of mental health crisis in a year, and only about 40% of those individuals actually seek help or can access help because of whatever reasons, whether it's insurance or just being able to get to the appointments. My hope is that as we kind of see this shift, we'll also see the destigmatization of mental health with even the conversations that people are having in their homes. Mm. Um, I, I think that, you know, often when I'm working with people, 
um, they might come in and, you know, someone might say, you know, you know, please help my son or daughter. Um, and the, the language that they use to describe the, the, you know, problematic behaviors can be very stigmatizing um, mm. and shaming. So I'm thinking of one family in particular, young teenage girl was describing, you know, I'm having a lot of um, irritability, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling depressed. And, you know, in me speaking with her, she's describing that her family describes her as bipolar, right? And, mm. and you know, there is a clinical diagnosis for bipolar, but it doesn't necessarily describe what her experience is, but she's shamed or stigmatized for those experiences that she has, those difficulty, the difficulties she's experiencing in expressing herself or managing her moods or just dealing with her anxieties. And some of those things could just be being a kid developmentally. She's trying to figure it out. Her response to the stressor is then viewed as something quote unquote crazy or mm -hmm. not appropriate. Yeah, so. yes. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. I mean, you know my family, you know my parents and they're amazing parents. And they listen to this podcast, by the way, so you can give them a shout out. But uh, <laughs> they ask me about you all the time, by the way. I remember when I, I had to disclose to my family that I was going to therapy. And I almost feel like they felt like they did something wrong. Like they put the blame on themselves. Like where, how did we fail you that you need to go to therapy? Do you see that often with, with parents that come and seek help for their children? Sure. There's a couple things that come into play for that. I think one of them is as a family, we don't want to disclose our secrets. Even our secrets have secrets, you know, so it's hard for us to kind of really open up to other people, especially outside of our system. I think, you know, the other part is that parents then might take on some sense of responsibility that they failed us or they don't really understand what we're experiencing. And I think, unfortunately, it can be weaponized in conversations. Uh, you might hear that in a family where a parent might notice that their child is really struggling and saying, well, you know what, you should just talk to your therapist about that because I don't understand you. And that can be really mm. shaming towards mm. someone mm. who's really seeking some help and some support. Whereas, you know, that child is just saying, I just want to let you know, I'm really struggling right now. And I, I really need some support. Can I get that from you? I was actually going to segue into asking, do you have a therapist, Michael? How do you keep up with your mental health and maintain your mental health? Sure. My um, journey to mental health, even though I wasn't in the field, started when, when I was, I don't know, about 18 or 19. And so... Um, <laughs> In in one of those meetings, I actually asked the therapist because it was a family meet, a family session we had. Mm -hmm. And so I, I pulled the therapist aside and I said, hey, I am really struggling with something and I'd like to kind of get some support. And he referred me to a therapist that I saw for many years and that therapist changed my life. He was Latino and I it wasn't because he was Latino that I needed him to be Latino. It was just sort of, it, it made it much more safer for me. It was, mm. I could really relate to him. He could understand the cultural aspects. Yes. He could understand the language and I didn't have to have an additional barrier. Throughout those years, he really supported me. I wasn't in therapy consistently. I mean, I would go there for maybe a year or two and then I'd take some time off, do some personal work, try to work on mm -hmm. the things that we talked about go back mm -hmm. for a year and then, you know, go in and out of therapy as I needed. 
our relationship eventually ended for many reasons, but then at some point I went back and sought other therapy support that I needed from other therapists. I feel like it's very valuable because I need to have a space to kind of process, you know, what am I experiencing? What are some of the challenges? What am I not looking at? Am I taking the best care of myself as an individual uh, in terms of my mental health? And I don't know, not to go into too much detail about myself, but I've had, you know, I, I, I don't think I really looked at it until maybe my 30s that in the first maybe 10 years of my life, I experienced significant traumas that I hadn't really thought of as traumas, but more mm -hmm. so things that I kind of, you know, worked through or survived, <laughs> but Absolutely. hadn't really reflected on it in my 30s. And I was like, oh yeah, now I'm in a place to really talk about that. A result of having been with the other previous therapist for some time to really prepare me for the other work that I needed to do. And even now as a practice owner, I still go to therapy. I think it's extremely valuable. I encourage people that I work with and people that have a, a curiosity about who they are. Um, are they living in accordance with the values that they have? Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, therapy sometimes gets viewed, as you were describing earlier, a huge stigma. Yes. I think it's not just for when you're anxious and depressed. I think it's a, it can be really um, effective to help you process and reflect how resilient you have been through all the things that you've worked through. Uh, you're hitting some very important points, you know, and I think too, it, it's also like very important to acknowledge what a privilege it is to go to therapy. Mm. I feel like, unfortunately, that's the case where it's a privilege to go to therapy and be able, you know, to take time out of your day to sit down and speak with, an, an, you know, another individual and really reflect. And just talking about our previous episode, talked we talked about voting, just to give you some background. We talked mm -hmm. about voting and a, a theme that came up was, you know, accessibility. And it's, I see a, a common theme here with even in relation to therapy, where there's a lack of accessibility to our community, you know, the Latinx Hispanic community. What resources could you offer up to people who are trying to seek help? You know, it's unfortunate. There is a huge disparity and I, I, I appreciate that you brought up privilege. There is a privilege in being able to go to therapy. A lot of people don't have the access to it whether it's through funding or insurance or even language becomes a barrier. I think that there's a lot of resources out there. I think that there's systems in place that don't always work. There are community mental health agencies in the community that can provide services and some of them do not really look at documentation status or insurance status. They actually just kind of provide services for individuals who are coming in and needing help. And some of those are grant funded and some of those are privately funded by the state. So unfortunately, there is usually a long wait list, about two to three months. Um, so people really have to do a lot of hunting to find these services. So within our practice, you know, a, a majority is a private or insurance-based, but we do offer a sliding scale as well as our no cost. Um, and we can do that through our interns that we have, as well as um, some of our clinicians, myself included, see clients at no cost. And that's just because of my own experience in working in community mental health and knowing how difficult it is to access care, but also because it's a part of my passion. Is like, I got into this field to help people. Um, yes, there is a business model that's associated because we're running a business, 
but I also want to be able to give back to the community. In, in regards to the other question you had about what coping skills people can utilize, you know, there's a range of things. People, you know, coping skills that short Latina would have would be very different from you, Salaritas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how you manage your anxiety or depressive states might be very different than what she would do. It would really depend on what works for the individual. Like, you know, some people might say like, you know, I go for a walk, I go for a run, I listen to music, I take a shower, I take a nap, you know, I call a friend, I call a crisis line. Whatever works to kind of manage some of those difficult times, those emotional stressors that you might have. And it varies from person to person. It would be helpful to have someone to talk about, well, what do you do when you're feeling upset? Or what helps you feel better when you are feeling this kind of stress or when you're feeling unmotivated? You know, the tricky thing about anxiety is it becomes a downward spiral. For most people, they might have a negative thing that happens. So for example, you might go into work late and then immediately start thinking like, I'm a bad employee. That thought of I'm a bad employee, that means like, well, I'm going to get written up. It spirals down so quickly that it becomes... Mm -hmm. I'm late, I'm a bad employee, I'm going to get written up, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to be homeless, my family is going to disown me, and it just keeps going. And so mm. for some people, that rapid cycle of anxiety can be paralyzing. And mm. for some, you know, they're pretty resilient, they can move, bounce back over, oh yeah, it's not a big deal, I'll talk to my boss about it. But for others, it spirals so much that it can ruin your whole day, it can take you out for a couple of days, and you really need some support. But if I have coping skills of like, you know what, I'm going to listen to music for a couple minutes, or I'm going to call my friend, short Latina, and she's going <laughs> to walk me through it. <laughs> if I'm, you know, in such a state of distress, but no, I need to get a little extra help. I'm going to call a crisis line, or I might even call state of Illinois has the, the new suicide prevention hotline. I don't know if it's active yet can verify and put the resource up okay exactly. and if not there's a suicide prevention hotline which is the 800-273-8255 or 800-273-TALK mm -hmm. and that's the suicide prevention hotline when when I was working at a community mental health agency we used to answer those calls for individuals who are experiencing a crisis uh, we always want to prevent people from having to be you know taken to a higher level of care meaning hospitalized we, we want to be able to provide support and sometimes it's just you know in that moment you feel such an emotional distress that the only relief you think is to do something harmful to yourself and we want to prevent that thank you michael for providing that information You know, the holidays can be different for everyone, right? Especially right now that life is moving so fast and there's a lot of things going on and some days are tougher than others. What suggestions do you have for our listeners to prepare mentally for the upcoming holidays? And I mean, that's a huge question because not only is it maybe visiting your family, maybe it's fa remembering that family you know, you don't talk to those family members anymore. I feel like the holidays are so heavy. There's so many things that 
will come up, right? As the holidays approach. On top of that, also yeah. a lot of people have lost loved ones to COVID. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. many of us may have an empty chair at the Thanksgiving table dinner this year. Yeah. So yeah, just asking about suggestions for that. I know, we just ask you to solve the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to, to think of how to layer the response because I think yeah. it's, uh, it's a great question. I, I, I believe there's so much complexity in, in kind of trying to answer that. I, I don't want to talk about COVID just yet, but I do want to first describe, you know, if COVID wasn't happening, we were, you know, you would go to your family gatherings and it causes a, a significant amount of distress because you're approaching that day, you start to kind of think about difficult experiences you've had with your family and difficult holiday experiences that you've had with your family. So you might go in there with a heightened sense of anxiety or worry or panic that it's gonna turn into that argument that we had before, or I'm gonna feel invalidated, I'm gonna be misunderstood by my family again, or they may not accept me in the way I wanna be accepted. And so that triggers a lot of anxiety for folks, but also like the sense of defensiveness or I'm on the offense, right? So I have yeah. to be prepared for what may come. And I think the uncertainty causes one of two things that either we're prepared to avoid or we're prepared to attack or fight. It's hard for us to kind of get in there. And so, for example, let's say, um, short Latina, you were going to go and visit your family mm -hmm. and they're wonderful people, <laughs> but <laughs> they also have their own memory of difficult holidays. And each of them having those memories, they're coming, coming, going to be coming in with some anticipation that there will be some tension or there's going to be that difficult conversation. I'm going to have to sit next to this person that I don't really want to talk to. I haven't talked to them for many years. And it really becomes tense. So I think my suggestion for folks around this is to perhaps consider what is healthy, what is a healthy boundary for me? What will I do in the event that something is said that's inappropriate or there's a microaggression that's thrown out there or how do I take care of myself and stay true to myself? Because I think sometimes we're given the message that we should tolerate some of the things that are said during holidays. And I think that that could be very damaging. And for some, not attending or quote unquote avoiding is taking care of myself, but it's seen negatively by the family. So mm -hmm. I encourage people to kind of consider what am I comfortable with? And what is the plan that I have in the event that my boundaries are crossed? You know, and learning how to do that, because I, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people could resonate with the fact that, you know, Latino families, especially, I feel like, can be very... On the beaches. Be, like, intr intrusive. <laughs> like, very intrusive. Like, for example... You know, my mom would always tell me growing up, el dinero va y viene, pero la familia es para siempre. And like, she, she's very family oriented. And, you know, obviously I adore that. However, I've had to learn now as an adult how to set up my boundaries. <laughs> I started doing that with my family when I moved out because I think that was one of the big boundaries I set, like distance, like physical distance. But I, I, my mom told me, you're just like, you're too American now. It's American to have boundaries or something. <laughs> it is. It really is. I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> anyway. She's like, I don't like this limit setting you're doing. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think you make a great point about the boundaries. I think it's learning how 
to be assertive in your communication rather than aggressive or passive aggressive. And and I think that it's it's uncomfortable because you can't really argue with feelings or you can't argue mm-hmm. with me setting a limit or a boundary with you of saying, yeah, that's, this is not okay. Can you give us an example, Michael? Like, could you verbalize <laughs> a sentence for me? Because I feel like everything I say comes off like mean, passive aggressive or which is rude. And I'm like, I check myself. I'm like, how, how can I be assertive without sounding like an, an ass? <laughs> For example, my mom will say, ¿Cuándo vas a venir otra vez? Like, when are you coming again? Mm-hmm. And I think because it takes a lot of energy out of me to go to my parents' house, which I love, by the way, because they cook amazing. And I see my dogs. <laughs> it's always a good time, though. Like, it is always a good time going over with my family. But my mom will be like, when are you coming back? And I'll be like, mom, I just left. And <laughs> and I'll sound insensitive. And then I'll be like, I'm sorry, mom. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in two weeks. But I'm just saying, how can we set boundaries, for example, uh, even tias chismosas are like, y el novio, when are you getting married? When are you going to have kids? It's like, I almost feel like sometimes my emotions get the best of me. And I, instead of sounding as an assertive person, I sound rude or mean or passive aggressive. Like, I'm trying to be good, but you people... (laughs) You people are too much sometimes. Anyway, can you ver- do you give swear us- on this podcast? Absolutely. I sure do. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't sworn this whole time. Oh. Well, it's you know time. when I swear with my clients, they're always like, "Oh, we got you to swear today," and I'm like, "You don't know me." <laughs> going back to your no, example, good. I guess my first my first thought would be, you know, when you're kind of noticing your emotions come up, kind of think to yourself, do I want to react or do I want to respond? Because mm. if if I want to respond, I might slow down a bit to say, well, what do I really want to let her know when, you know, she keeps asking me, when am I coming to come back? Or do if I react to it, then it's an emotional reaction that I haven't really thought about. It's, you know, that's where we might see the irritability come out or the anger or sort of that outburst that you said is not really desirable. Um, but if we can take a pause and maybe think about what, how do I really want to respond? What am I really feeling? You know, mom, when you keep asking me when I'm coming over, I notice that I, I feel, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know if this is true for you, Nerdy Latina, but I, I'm yeah. wondering if you might feel a sense of, I'm worried that I'm disappointing you, that I'm worried that there's a sense of responsibility, perhaps even maybe I'm feeling shamed that I'm not here enough. And mm-hmm. I'm, I really love spending time with you, mom. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't know how to figure all of the, all of the things that I want to do to kind of create time and space for that as well. So mm-hmm. and maybe she might hear it different. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want me to call her? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's so important to recognize to get to the root of why somebody reacts a certain way and i think that's also a question we can ask ourselves i I think it's really interesting how you you really you know separated you know reacting versus responding right give us another one michael because listen (laughs) (laughs) obviously the holidays are coming a lot of us are self-conscious of our bodies because covid has not been kind i don't know i mean i'm sure that some people are like acing 
COVID and like have a six six pack by now, but I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> you know, not some, people, some people on TikTok, man. Some people on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, lies, but <laughs> contouring those abs. But I'm just saying, you go for that second plate of food, and you mm-hmm. always have that person that's like, oh, another one. They have that look, you mean, where they just kind of, they just keep yeah. looking at you yeah. when you go to serve that food. And yeah, no, I get it. So what do you <laughs> say? judgmental person in the room. How do you say without ruining Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> what? Go ahead, Michael. What, what do you say? Or somebody says, what do you say when you might notice someone do that to you? Or how do you respond? If I'm if I'm being honest, I'm pretty playful with my cousins. I'd be like, what? What you looking at? I think that this hasn't happened to me as a teenager. But I think it's happened to me when I was younger. I think I've like suppressed those memories and I don't remember. But I definitely like ran away and like cried with my plate of food still. But honestly, I probably would have avoided, I just wouldn't have said anything. It would have made me feel more comfortable. And I think that would be more productive because I don't think saying anything would bring any sort of reconciliation. I I would think that it's a personal choice in terms of like the kind of boundary you want to set when that does happen. Because Mm -hmm. for some, they they would say like, yeah, I could joke it off and not necessarily have to worry about it after that like okay I'm done I don't have to see that person for another 12 months and for others it'd be like you know this continues to happen I don't even want to go so my boundary is not even to go whereas there might be someone else who's then saying well I actually want to tell them something that's really hurtful Uh, when you do that I feel uh, shame or I feel ridiculed or humiliated when you do that is that your intention I would check I mean like that's that's not the therapist in me but perhaps maybe what I might want to be curious about because I'm curious about what's their intent when someone says that Mm. I want to believe that everyone's not trying to be hurtful but if I am curious about what their intent is can I let them know that well actually when you do that and it's just a joke it's actually really hurtful and maybe I can point that out. Oftentimes, people don't know that what they're doing is affecting you in that way. So verbalizing that is not only, you're not only recognizing yourself, but you're letting the other person know how their words are affecting you. Mm-hmm. I was just going to share my own boundary. Go ahead. My, uh, so one of my most memorable Thanksgiving <laughs> experiences, I was probably about 25 and me and my uh, older brother we would get into some disagreements that would sometimes become physical. And we just had been going back and forth all day and I just wasn't tolerating it anymore. And I actually pushed back a little too far and he mm. lunged over the turkey and tried to attack me. <gasps> oh my God. But, but that's how we would fight. And it wasn't like it was out of the norm. Like it's, I hear your gasp, but uh-huh. from the way we would argue, that's how it would be. But my grandfather who is this lovable little man who would never raise his voice I saw him raise his voice that day and I knew that it had to stop and so I created a boundary after that and I told my mom I can't come back until me and my brother repair our relationship for family gatherings I'm happy to be around the family but if we don't fix our relationship I can't be in the same room because I don't want to ever see my grandfather go through that again Mm. so and our relationship it took years to work on 
but we're able to be in the same room. We, <laughs> we get into little like arguments back and forth, but it's nothing to what it was back then. We've recovered from that, but some people never have that opportunity to kind of address. So then it just becomes, well, this is the anxiety I'm walking into every time we have Christmas or Thanksgiving or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I love my family and I think sometimes I forget how fortunate I am that I have both parents and that, you know, yeah, they annoy me sometimes, but at least they're here to annoy me, right? And and it's just a reminder because right now life is, is throwing a curveball at all of us uh, with COVID. Um, and I guess that's what I wanted to segue into that it sounds petty sometimes to to ask how to deal with your parents and your family. And we forget how fortunate we are to have them. And so my question is, what recommendations do you have for people that have lost a loved one because of COVID or any other reason really in this year and the in the past years? I, I certainly think that this is going to be a very difficult holiday season because of the COVID restrictions. And then to layer that with significant losses that families families have experienced. And I would go back into how do we use the, however you celebrate it, whether, you know, it's uh, through Zoom, because of you're trying to keep each other safe. How do we honor the people that are not at the table? How do we continue to remember the rituals or the, the gifts that they shared with us through our celebrations? Um, I think that, you know, it's very difficult. It's hard to talk about those who have recently passed without sort of worrying about, oh, I'm going to upset my mother if we start to talk about so-and-so who's passed away or going to be upset myself. Um, I think it's finding ways to kind of have that conversation that feel more of a celebration or remembrance of who they were, what their gifts were, how they informed who we are today, um, what are the values that they brought into this world and shared with you. I think your parents' relationship all relationships, they evolve. And oftentimes I feel like I continuously have to remind myself, you know, that my parents are human too, and they too are evolving as people. The dad I had growing up is sure as hell not the dad my eldest sister, you know, had growing up. Also understanding your parents' history and, and how they communicate, because it obviously it's different for everyone. I have a question for you, Sabritas. What's up? I wonder, would would you ever share with your mom? Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely would. I would share with my parents. I don't know how they would take it, but I think it would be a lot more difficult to verbalize for me, especially because I feel like they would want me to give concrete examples and like uh, you really demonstrate how they've changed. So I would kind of feel a, a responsibility to make my case. Yeah, why, why do you ask, Michael? <laughs> I'm curious. No, it's just the way you, you were bringing it up. I was just... You, you were bringing it up as you've identified that how different they are or how they've evolved. And I'm wondering what it would be like for them to hear that from you of saying, I've noticed how different you are, you know, because I, I think that sometimes it's hard for us to let our parents know how different they, they are mm -hmm. because we see them in one way. But if we weren't worried about it, what I, I wonder what they would feel or think in hearing them you notice their change. I think I've only had these conversations with my sisters, you know, because we, <laughs> we talk about our parents and how they were and how they are now. They hold a larger history than I do since I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest of four. Actually, I will tell my parents <laughs> that I've seen how oh. they evolved this week during dinner and I'll, I'll let y'all know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that 
you know how we want our parents to tell us that they're proud of us? I feel like our mm-hmm. parents want that too from us. Like they want us yes. to recognize how much, uh, how, how much they've grown. Like my mom right now, she's working for her bachelor's degree um, here in the United States. She has it mm-hmm. in, in Mexico, but oh. here. And so she's, work, she's taking online classes, Michael. And I'm like, I'm really proud of you. She's done amazing things this year. And I'm so proud of her. Uh, my dad too, like they've grown so much, Michael. And I, I feel like they're mm-hmm. also like want to hear that from us. So I love that you brought that up. Sure. And I think that's also a really important thing maybe within therapy that we should highlight is like gratitude. And I will be very honest with you. I have not gone to a therapist ever since like middle school, but I do know that sometimes some therapists and I guess this is a question for you. Do you incorporate any sort of gratitude within your approach? I think that there there's a lot that we can explore in terms of what am I grateful for within this moment or within my life, but then also sort of like, how do I express that? And mm-hmm. I think even as we're talking about the holidays, what if we went into our holidays thinking about, you know, I might have some anxiety about it, but, you know, I want to come in with my best foot forward and thinking about how do I express gratitude for the things that we are going to celebrate with our families? How do I enjoy this moment? And yeah, work through the difficulties if there are any that come up. I think it's it's hard for us, especially in this moment that we're living in, for us to feel that gratitude sometimes because we're so, we're in a heightened state of anxiety as a result of COVID, not just because of the precautions, but then also what does life look like? The financial impact, the long-term impact on what it will be like to have children in schools or not in schools. And there's so many things that we haven't even touched on in this conversation (laughs) that have really kind of shifted for people. And I think everyone's adjusting and everyone's in a heightened state of just anxiety and just a sense of alert. It's traumatizing. But I did want to say that I listened to the podcast you had with Estefania. It was hilarious, but I appreciate it how much she talked about, it was very small, but how much she talked about her own struggles and what comedy did for her. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can get people to find that, kind of look into what are the gifts or what are the things that can really be a coping skill and help them build resiliency and build a stronger sense of self, you know, they can really recover from anxiety or depressive states. It's finding things that you're passionate about what you can find in terms of what is your purpose in this life and how do you want to celebrate those gifts with other people that episode was one of my favorites thank you michael actually i was listening to it first and i didn't know Uh who it was okay and then so my partner so i i do not like tiktok as much as he does (laughs) he will not go to sleep without like being on tiktok for a half an hour and it's so annoying because sometimes i just want to read (laughs) <laughs> is it so, just like, like the same songs playing over and over again exactly and i'm just like it's so distracting because i'm just trying to get through one paragraph and my add is kicking it so funny. he kept showing me these pictures of this woman with these tiny hands and i'm like mm-hmm. okay stop showing me <laughs> <laughs> now, i mean it's funny it really is funny and, and the reason why i brought her up was because when i had struggled with my depressive states one of the th- and, and i was really introverted and quiet and I found theater and I found mm-hmm. comedy and it really helped me get out of my, my skin. It really helped be a place of healing for me. And I think everyone could really benefit from 
some space that really does that for them, whether it's music or, uh, you know, sports or I don't know, just family even or cooking or mm-hmm. whatever. TikTok has really changed that for people. Oh, yeah. That you're being yeah. able to share your life with someone. I think that that is so beautiful because I, I was actually, I remember when TikTok, I didn't know how long TikTok's been out, but when it started around COVID is when, or for me, it started around COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. You get to actually see people being themselves with their families. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little much, but <laughs> you, you really oh, yeah. get to kind of laugh and enjoy you know there's the gratitude for me all right michael um i think i'm just i'm i'm so amazed uh everything you shared was so so much wisdom okay i'm just gonna say so much wisdom and i feel like i took a lot from this episode (laughs) i don't know about you somebody does i did too i really did take a lot from this episode and i really michael you i think this is the first time a guest has asked me a question like that (laughs) kind of took (laughs) i was kind of and I, but I really enjoyed it. And I really, like Lecture Latina said, you touched on a lot of things that, you know, I think were really powerful and important. And I think that mm-hmm. our listeners will really value what you have to say, especially, you know, as a, a Latinx man or Latino man. I, mm-hmm. How do you identify Latinx, Latino? Um, I, I would say Latino, sometimes Latinx, and sometimes, it just depends. It depends, um, right? It, it's this thing that becomes fluid. And I, I think the labels end up sometimes separating us. And I have appreciated our conversation. There's so much that people are working through. And I really hope that the holidays serve as a time of healing and mm. connection for people rather than a distance, uh, distancing event. Yeah. So. And Michael, how can our listeners reach out to you for services? Um, they can look us up uh, on our website, samiascounseling.com, and we don't turn anyone away. We may not be able to see them right away. We do have a wait list for individuals who may have difficulty um, utilizing insurance, but we, we do want to be able to access, provide access to care for as many people as we can, and they can find us there. We also have a Facebook page. And last question, um, we ask sure. every, all of our guests, uh, what makes them nerdy? We are trying to redefine what a nerd is. We think that a nerd is anyone that can share knowledge as you did today. And it could be on anything. It could be your love for movies. It could be anything. <laughs> can I give like three things? All right, Michael. So what makes you nerdy? I'm nerdy about therapy. I go to sleep reading these books about therapy because I'm just always so interested in different approaches and how to help people. I just love to learn. And I love to learn about people's stories, where they come from, how they came to be, where they are now. So what lessons that they have in their life that can be useful for me to hear. Well, thank you for joining us, Michael. And I hope you join us again. Yes, thank you so much for taking time out of your Monday. Thank you. First and foremost, I wanted to say you have a dope podcast. I appreciate you like hitting me up on Instagram. And so I had to check you out, of course. And I was listening to the Frida Kahlo episode, the latest one you just did. And you were talking about the different things, um, you know, about uh, cultura in Oaxaca and Dia de los Muertos and all that. So it inspired me to get my own little vlog episode up. And 
Anyways, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you. And I'll be checking you out again. So anybody who's listening to this, uh, check out the Nerdy Latinas podcast. Uh, it's your boy Alex from Educadence, where we change it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Please share us, review us, and send us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our guests and Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode. Please join us in the next episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. <laughs>